Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 56. Hi, Sally. How are ya? Do I look relaxed? You look so relaxed. Jen, you know this, but I don't know if everybody else knows this because I didn't talk about it because I didn't want to jinx it, but I just spent three days in a cabin in the mountains. This is the best part by myself. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Yeah, it was amazing. I went to, um, I spent three days in this little teeny one bedroom cabin with a beautiful view up in North Carolina and I wrote. That's all I did. I wrote. I went for one hike and I wrote the rest of the time. It was amazing. You're like a character in a Diane Lane movie. I was, but we're just talking about Diane Lane. (laughs) I was, except I had to come back and take care of my child. I didn't, Ben was like, you're not coming back, are you? You didn't meet a handsome stranger? (laughs) No. A recently widowed (laughs) stranger? No, I did uh, see a bunch of guys at the dollar store who weren't wearing masks. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Other than that, no, it was amazing. I highly recommend it to anyone who has kids. I mean, if you don't have kids, you're probably Sometimes you just need to be alone. Yeah. In the woods. It's it's It was needed, and I could do it again for, like, tomorrow. I feel like I could do it again. So jealous. Yeah. So jealous. All right, should we get into quickies? Let's do it. All right, so my quickie is from an article on BuzzFeed by Hanifa Rahman. Okay, so this is about talking, speaking of moms, this is a article, a story about mom. So this mom named Sarah Cunningham in 2018 went viral on Facebook because she shared a photo of herself raising her hand like as if she was volunteering. And the captain said, PSA, if you need a mom to attend your same-sex wedding because your biological mom won't, call me. I'm there. I'm your biggest fan. I'll even bring the bubbles. Isn't that nice? That's so awesome. I know. So Sarah is a mom of two. She works at an architecture firm, and she is a pastor and an LGBTQ plus advocate. Her post came after she was kept hearing stories of couples whose parents refused to be a part of their weddings. Mm-hmm. But it also came from like her own personal experience because she told BuzzFeed that when she first learned that her son was gay, that she wasn't accepting because she is this very strict Christian and she truly believed that he was going to go to hell for his sexuality. And so she said she thought, if my son was going to hell for being gay, I'm going to fight for him like my hair is on fire. Wow. She has learned a lot more and she's about what it means to be gay and her beliefs have shifted and she says since then I've gotten educated and no longer believe that so now I've been fighting for him and the LGBTQ community like my hair is on fire because I've seen the power of what fear and ignorance can do wow so Sarah is based in Oklahoma and she says that she has married dozens of same-sex couples in the area since 2016 her post about showing up as a stand-in mom went viral and inspired a bunch of other moms to volunteer to be stand-in moms in different states. And Sarah also works with the group, I'm sure you've seen them, the free mom hugs that like, yeah, you know, right? Like that's in- what I was, I was just typing it into my computer because I wanted to make sure I got the phrase right. It's, I was, I wanted to say moms for hugs, but free mom hugs. Yeah, free mom hugs. I joined the Atlanta chapter I after watching the show. <laughs> We're here. Really? Yeah. After reading the article you just joined? No, or I had joined it like a- way before. Wow, yeah, like last year. so cool. But I have not hugged anyone yet. Well, we didn't get a chance to this year because of COVID. Yeah. So if you guys don't know, they basically, it's just like moms who will go to pride events and offer free mom hugs. Just basically like, hey, here, this is, we are accepting you. You yeah. are accepted. You are loved. Even if it's not your parent, this mom loves you. That's kind of the message. And Sarah says she thinks that her post went viral because people need hope. I sure do. And we need to be for each other in any way, shape, or form. Hope never disappoints. But what I think is that the reason that people connected is because this is a very rare, well, maybe it's not rare, but it's seemingly rare example of someone who had 
a viewpoint and, and really believed in something and then learned and educated and opened her heart and changed and yeah. like really did change. And so Sarah's faith is still very important to her. And she mm-hmm. says that she understands, she understands why Christian parents struggle with coming to understanding their gay children. She was there. She was one of them. And she says she is committed to supporting people through that process. She says, wow. I'm simply doing what I wish someone would have done for me when I was trying to figure things out, being a woman of faith and a mother of a gay son. Wow, nice. yeah. that is nice. I love that. And it's it's definitely heartening to hear stories about people changing their right. points because right now, like, what we need is change in the world. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And I didn't know that you were a member of uh, Free Mom Hug. So next Pride, when we're not under quarantine, you guys come find me and Sally and we'll give you some hugs. Yeah, we'll give you some free mom hugs. <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> you snuggle in. Just yeah. snuggle in. We'll just give you some. Come on in. <laughs> Good. Gotcha. All right. What's your, um, what's your quickie? Well, my quickie is also from a BuzzFeed article about a video that went viral, but in a different way. <laughs> the yin and the yang. Did you know yes. my, uh, my husband Ben asked me, a couple times he was like, so how do you guys decide who does like the nice quickie and who does the like crazy quickie? And I was like, we don't, we don't, we yeah. don't. it just kind of works that works out that way most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody tells us what to, how to do our quickies. We do, we do we what we do want. do what we want. So there was a BuzzFeed article written by Stephanie K. Bear, but also a follow-up vice.com article written by Mac Lamoureux. On June 25th, 2018, 28-year-old Richard Pariso and 29-year-old Brittany Burke from Edmonton, Canada. Have mm-hmm. you heard? I have heard. Yes, it's in Canada. <laughs> um, they went it's where to... I want to live. <laughs> uh, they, I, you know, both of my stories today are uh, Canadian. Canadian, and I think that that's just my heart telling me where to go. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Richard and Brittany went to their local Ready Mart in Spruce Grove, Alberta to purchase a couple of items when their credit card was declined. Mm. What they didn't know was the cards actually came back reported as stolen. Bhagwan Chawan, who is the owner of the store, had already placed a call to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Ooh. also known as the RCMP also known as Mounties, I think they say. <laughs> when the police showed up to detain the couple, yeah. Richard did what any loving and protective boyfriend would do in that situation, and he shoved Brittany <laughs> right into them, and then he tried to make a run for it. And that is the best plan. <laughs> so you just push your girlfriend down, distract them, <laughs> And then Ren. And so that's what he tried to do. And he was he was free for a second. Yeah. And it's so crazy. So the, what went viral was this video of the surveillance camera that yeah. caught it from every single camera. <laughs> like it's like a friggin' movie of how all this went down. It's yeah. really awesome. So he pushes Brittany into the police. Then he runs to the back of the store and he tries to get away. But the back door was locked. <laughs> And so then he doesn't know what to do. So then he goes back into the store and he like puts a bunch of snacks in his arms. And then I like, I don't know, like he's going to like throw them at the police or something. (laughs) Then he's going at it with the police. And while he is now just distracting the police. Now, Brittany, she gets up and she decides that now she's going to escape. Right. And so she goes... Oh, these dum-dums. <laughs> ...back into the section, the back of the store, and uh, she could not escape either, but she decides to get a ladder, and then she climbs up the ladder, and she makes her way into the ceiling panels. <laughs> oh, no. And then she she disappears for a minute on the camera, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see her in the front of the store camera fall through the ceiling. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. And then the funniest part is that she immediately gets up and makes a run for it. And then she just looks at the police and she's like, fucking, I give up. And like puts her hands up and gets down on the ground like, you caught me. And so they were both arrested and they were charged with a bunch of different crimes, obstructing a police officer, breaching conditions and mischief 
And also um, assaulting a police officer, possession of stolen property, using a, using a stolen credit card, and resisting arrest. <laughs> and then on top of that, they were made fun of mercilessly for their <sighs> viral video where they look like a bunch of dumb idiots. Oh my god, I can't wait to watch. <laughs> and so the last that the article said was that they served a 15-day sentence and when they went to the hearing she got credit for the time served so I guess that was all they had to do is serve that 15 days but here's the best thing is what they were trying to buy with the stolen credit cards Uh Uh, according to uh, Bhagwan Chowan the owner of the store he says just popcorn four (laughs) dollars and 39 cents fucking idiots oh my god all of that for some fucking popcorn. You know, it's really easy oh. to make it at home for like nothing. <laughs> uh, yay, yay. So that's my quickie. Oh my God. That that was amazing. Yeah, I just, I'd like definitely, I'm going to share the video to the Patreon for sure. Yeah. So everyone can watch it. But you could also Google it. Google Brittany Burke and Richard Pariso and the video will come yeah. up. It's muy entertaining. Oh man, that was amazing. I just watched the video and you guys have to. (laughs) (laughs) Listening to Jen's description, which was perfect. I left out so much. It's even better. I forgot that he's shirtless. I forgot that he gets tased. Yeah, and then gets pops back up and tries to make another run for it. I know. That she's hiding in the bathroom and then thinks that she's like, I'm going to get on escape. It's it's got thrills and chills. It does. That was amazing. It's got it all. That was amazing. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You'll Jack. laugh. You'll, you'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll laugh crying. <laughs> you'll rethink. Maybe you don't want to move to that part of Canada. You'll make yourself some goddamn popcorn. Mm. Yeah, that's like yeah. a <laughs> it's total popcorn flick. I love it. Uh, hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yes. I mean, I feel like we're already, we're all hyped up. I know. From your quickie. And now let's just keep it rolling. I feel like I'm on the same meth that they were. (laughs) (laughs) Canadian meth. If only. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I got my information from True Crime Daily, LA Times, and a podcast called Minds of Madness. Ooh. Which is also... A Canadian podcast. Wow. Yeah, but this actually didn't take place in Canada. They just happened to cover the story. Okay. This is a story. Yeah, Canada. Really coming through on this episode. (laughs) Um, We actually have a lot of Canadian listeners. Do we? Yeah. Okay, so this is a story of the murder of Linnell Barsak. In 2010, Linnell Barsak was living a seemingly happy life in a suburb of Palmdale, California, which is a little desert town about 65 miles northeast of L.A. She was 29 years old, and she already owned this beautiful 3,700-square-foot home. Wow. Yeah, she had a job. Right, I know, right? I'm like, can you imagine 3,700? That'd be a lot to clean. It'd be a lot to clean, but I think I could do it. (laughs) (laughs) But she she had a job. She She was a nurse. She worked hard. She had a BMW. I mean, she was, like, doing pretty well. She had a living boyfriend. His name was Louis Bonware and she was beautiful. She had like girl next door, good look, just like a beautiful smile. Everybody said that she was had been very shy growing up, but then in her 20s had kind of come out of her shell and she was like a real social butterfly. And she was just kind of, you know, she was young, she was figuring things out, but she had her shit together in like so many areas of her life, but her love life was not one of them. So of course, when somebody looks like they have it all on the uh-huh. outside, there's more to the story. So Linnell's boyfriend, Lewis, was extremely jealous to the point where he would, was basically stalking her at times. Like he would follow her to work to make sure she was going there. He would make her show him her phone. And then one time drove her off the road following her with his car. But Linnell, like many women who are in those kinds of relationships, didn't ever press charges and she stayed with Lewis. Like, I don't know whether it was out of fear or mm-hmm. um, just not knowing what to do or because they actually owned the house together. But whatever it was, it was clear that she actually wasn't happy in the relationship. I mean, she wasn't resigned to being in it because she had started secretly seeing another man who also worked in healthcare. His name was Ike Amuma. And Ike had actually given her a second cell phone so that the two of them could communicate. 
So, you know, so she was trying to find ways out, it seemed. Right. And then on June 16, 2010, Linnell's friend, Lorraine Austin, had planned to go to Linnell's house to do her hair. But nothing that day went as planned. Because that day, Lorraine showed up at the Palmdale Sheriff's Station, covered in blood <gasps> and hysterical. No. Sorry. <laughs> Frank does not like this story. Frank did not like that. Like, Frank is Jen's dog. Kidding me. <laughs> in case in case you're like, oh my god, is there a man bear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my doggy. So she she busts into the police station and she told police that when she got to Linnell's house, Lewis was in a rage, that he oh, had wow found out the phone and that he was threatening Linnell and Lorraine knew that Lewis had a temper but Linnell seemed to have things handled and so Lorraine was like I'll just come back later hoping that things would calm down oh no but when she came back the garage door was open and she saw something inside the garage floor next to the car and it was Linnell she had a black plastic bag (gasps) around her head oh my god Lorraine immediately checked her pulse on her foot and then lifted up the bag just to confirm that it was Linnell. And when it became, that became very clear that Linnell was dead because, because you could yeah, tell. Yeah. Um, oh man, I bet she feels so horrible for like having left. Right. So Lorraine says. Not that she, it's her fault. It's definitely not her fault, but I'm sure right. that she probably feels right. that way. Yeah. So Lorraine says she heard movement on the second floor of the house and she walked into the house and then the next thing she knew she is staring at lewis and he is on the top of the stairs and he's holding a gun (gasps) and so lorraine ran for her life and she fell as she's leaving the garage in a pool of blood oh my god and then she got in her car and sped off and lewis started following <gasps> her but she said when it seemed maybe he realized she was going to the sheriff's station then he left. then he left so the police get to linnell's house and they find the scene as lorraine had described it although lewis was nowhere to be found linnell had a bag of her head and although at first they thought she had been hit in the head like bludgeoned. They later found out she had died from a gunshot wound to the back of the head. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so police quickly found Lewis. He was actually at Linnell's mother's house, and they brought him in for questioning. And Lewis denied Lorraine's story completely. Like, he kept saying over and over, he was like, you have to find out what happened. You have to find out what happened. But Detective Robert Kinney said that from the beginning, it seemed clear that Lewis was guilty. First, detectives asked him about his relationship, and he was like, we were happy. It was perfect. But they knew that wasn't true. They had interviewed, besides Lorraine, other people who were like, oh, no, he he stalked her. He was abusive. They had real problems. And then detectives noticed a scratch on the side of his, his head from his cheek to his neck. And then they told him, When they told him about Linnell's death, they said he was crying, but there were no No tears. tears. Yeah. And then they talked to Linnell's brother because he... So because Lewis had been at Linnell's mom's house, Linnell's brother said that while he was there, he had been on the computer and he had been looking up flights to Miami, which they thought might be Lewis trying to escape back to Haiti, which is where he was from. Mm. So police arrested Lewis and held him in county jail while the crime scene investigators went to get to work on Linnell's house. And they knew just from the way the her wound was that she had been shot in the head, from in the back of the head, like from someone standing above her. Right. And they found a pillow that was used, they figured, as a silencer and a 9 millimeter cartridge. And then the senior criminalist, Mary Keene, said there was a lot of blood throughout the crime scene, but it had been moved and cleaned up significantly. She actually determined that Linnell had been murdered inside the home and then moved out to the garage. So there was like, you could see when they they did the luminol, you could see where somebody had dragged her from the house out into the garage. The criminologists collected a bunch of stuff from the home, including a gray plastic pitcher that had a distinct fingerprint on it that they believed had been used to clean up the crime scene. They found a pair of bloody gloves and an area rug near where Linnell's body was that had been removed from the house. So they Mm -hmm. figured that that was what was used to drag her out to the garage. 
And then when police searched Linnell's house, they also found a letter from Linnell that basically said, Dear Lewis, I'm leaving you for another guy that I've been dating. Don't try to find me. I'm getting out of here. And then at the end, there was like a PS that said, You can have all my money. Well, it said, it said, you really? can, yeah, it said, do whatever you want with the house. I might take a TV, but do whatever you want with the stuff in the oh house. Oh my God. Like he makes more money than you. So whatever. So that is, so they found this letter, right? So, but then the police get a search warrant for Lewis's truck. And what they find in the truck are receipts from AutoZone that show that he had actually been in Los Angeles during the time of the murder, which is what he had said. He had said, I wasn't even here. I was in LA, which is 65 miles away. So then they checked the surveillance footage from the AutoZone and it showed clearly that it was Lewis and he was in LA and that his cell phone records showed that he was there. And so the detectives said they were stunned, that they they knew that these things oh proved... Oh my God, that sounds like the movie, the HBO show, The Outsider, Stephen King. Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. But it's just like, there's like, where you think you know who did yeah. it. And it's like, you know, it's obvious. Right. And then all of a sudden there's like some proof and you're like, wait, what? Wait, what happened? Crazy. That's what happened here. Yay. So they were basically like, that wasn't a yay. That was a yay. Like, yeah. yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Not like, yay. Sorry. My noises can be weird sometimes. Jen has no control. Yay, 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 even if he had a private jet, you couldn't have gotten back and forth wow. in the time in the time that it happened. So police briefly consider Linnell's secret boyfriend, Ike, but they quickly clear him too. He had been in Sacramento. And besides, Lorraine had identified Lewis as the killer, saying yeah. he had been there. And if that was impossible, it must mean that she was lying about what had happened. So police start looking into Lorraine and they find out that not only was Lorraine Austin not Linnell's best friend, as she had claimed to be, but the two had just met a month earlier. Holy moly! Yes. And so as they searched more, they found that they had actually met in the personal section of Craigslist and that the two, Linnell and Lorraine, had been having an affair. Wow. Or they had been dating. It's very unclear. They say affair, but also they're like, it was three weeks. Yeah. And Linnell had Lewis and then this other guy. And right. Lorraine also had a boyfriend that she lived with. So it was like, you know, how much were they really seeing each other in these three weeks? But after three weeks, Linnell told Lorraine over text, she was like, look, I just want to be friends. I really need to like figure out my life. And, you know, I'm living with Lewis and I'm lying to him. So I just, I need us to just be friends. Yeah. And over text... Lorraine seemed to be fine. Lorraine was seeing other people too. And so they had actually like introduced their boyfriends to each other. She seemed to be fine with the breakup or mm -hmm. the break off. But police said that Lorraine had seen Linnell with her fancy house and her BMW as basically a way to get out of debt because Lorraine had no job. She had just a mountain of debt. And when Linnell had broken things off, they say she was very unhappy and she had thought eventually that she was going to move into this big fancy house. Wow. And, and so, so police ask mm. Lorraine to come in and take a polygraph test mm. to talk about what she says happened the day that Linnell died. And she promises that she will come in, but then she keeps putting them off. And then the cops discover that she had been online researching ways to defeat a polygraph. Wow. Idiot. Dumb. Yeah, dumb, dumb, dumb. So she, so the detective's suspicions soon turned into hard evidence. So the bloody pair of gloves had DNA from Lorraine. The gray plastic pitcher they said was used to clean up the crime scene, that was her fingerprint. The letter to Lewis had been written by Fire. Lorraine. And inside that rolled up rug were several hair weaving needles because that's what Lorraine was weaving, was going to give oh, right. Linnell a weave. And so the needles from it were in that rug. So Lorraine saying like, oh, she hadn't ever gone in the house or hadn't even, you know, like that she had never started doing her hair was like a complete lie, obviously. So now police thought, OK, they have motive, they have means, they have opportunity. And they also find out that Lorraine had a gun 
register to her that was the same caliber as the one that was used to kill Linnell, but the gun, of course, was missing. Oh. Um, what they thought was happening was that Linnell was having her hair weaved by Lorraine, and Lorraine had reached over and grabbed a, pi- a pillow and then used it as a silencer, put the gun to the back of her head and shot her once Jesus. in the back of the head. I know. And they thought that, like, in addition to revenge, that Lorraine's motive was to steal from Linnell. She was going to take her car, take her jewelry, take the money, and then possibly steal the TV. Because remember, she was like, right. I'm leaving. I might I take the TV. the TV. So, and then, like, sell the TV for money. And so they thought that what Lorraine was going to do, the reason why she dragged her body out into the garage was because she was going to put Linnell's body in her trunk take her out to the desert and bury her so that people would have thought she just ran off with this other guy. Right. But she couldn't get her into the trunk. She couldn't physically lift lift the body up. So she thought, okay, plan B, I'm going to blame this on Lewis because everybody knows he's an abusive asshole. Yeah. That he's going to be the the suspect and I can just like point it in his direction. Right. So on March 11th, police got a warrant for Lorraine's arrest But when they went to arrest Lorraine, she was gone. And police couldn't find her anywhere. It was like she had just disappeared off the face of the earth. And for a year, it was looking like she was gone for good. And then in December of 2011, America's Most Wanted did an episode about Lorraine. And a tip came in almost immediately. Yes. And so a witness said they thought they had spotted Lorraine hiding out in Belize, which is in this like tiny fishing town called Punta Gardo, which is like along the coast. And it was like really remote, like miles from a major city or an airport. And Lorraine was going by the name of Crystal, which happened to be Linnell's middle name. Oh my God. Yeah. So the FBI worked with the Belize authorities to find and capture Lorraine. And then on January 25th, She was extradited back to the U.S. She was arraigned in February of 2012, and she pled not guilty. Um, She told investigators she had just been in Belize on holiday. She was like, I have nothing to confess. And But then when the police brought up the America's Most Wanted, she had obviously seen it, and she was like really angry because she was like, it makes me look like I was using Linnell as a meal ticket. Her quote was, I would never mooch off a friend. And that was what she was upset about. So Lorraine went to trial. It didn't take place until 2015. Wow. Um, five years after Linnell was killed. Did and she sit in jail that whole time? I don't know. I assume mm. yes, but I, I I couldn't find what happened in the intervening. I mean, it's not so crazy that it would be that long in between a arrest and a like a murder trial. Yeah. Because you know all the motions and whatever, and it doesn't say that she was out on bail, but it, I don't know. So it lasted for six weeks. Mm -hmm. I would guess that she probably didn't get out because she had run. You know, they're probably not going to let her out again. But so her defense attorney, Lorraine's defense attorney, said that Lorraine had no motive to kill. Like, she didn't steal it. She didn't end up stealing anything. She had had only been together for three weeks. He was like, they had no motive. So she said that even looking at the text messages when Linnell broke things off, Lorraine was fine with it. She said, that's fine. And they said, basically, the prosecution had a weak argument. Um, And then the prosecutor was like, well, why did you run away if you're innocent? Why change your story so many times? Why be under an assumed identity? And the prosecutor said that Lorraine had actually told the truth about one thing, that she and Linnell had made plans to do Linnell's hair. Like, obviously, Linnell didn't fear her because she they had gone shopping together that day to buy hair supplies, and they had gone and gotten pizza. Like, they were going to, like, hang out all day. And so... Here's Linnell thinking she's hanging out with her friend yeah. who then shoots her in the back of the head for no reason. And um, so then on August 15th, the jury found 33-year-old Lorraine Austin guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to 50 years in prison. And then following her sentencing, she actually appealed on the grounds that the jury selection was discriminatory because Lorraine is black and there was only one other black juror. But then the Court of Appeals ultimately ruled that the jury selection was fair. They upheld her conviction, and she's now serving her sentence. Wow. But one of the creepiest details that came out was that after Lorraine, immediately after Lorraine met Linnell, Lorraine changed her dating profile online to say that she was a nurse, just like Linnell, that she owned her own house and a nice car, just like Linnell, and that her name was Crystal, which was Linnell's 
middle name. Weird. Yeah. So the podcast that I listened to, Minds of Madness, made the point that basically Linnell had everything that Lorraine wanted. And when Linnell broke it off, Lorraine saw it as more than a breakup. She saw it as, you're taking this life from me. You're taking this life from me. And that that is probably why she killed her. Oh, man. So anyway, that's a really thoroughly depressing story of Linnell Barsak, who was like a girl trying to figure out her love life. She was 29 years old, but she had so much going for her. And that's horrible. Ugh. Hey, Sally. Jen. Are you ready to hear some uplifting stories about love? I'm so ready. Good. I feel like I really brought us down. We were like riding a high from those goofy ass criminals. And I was like, <laughs> hey, do you want to hear something about a real criminal? Oh. Well, so let's go back up. Let's ride the roller coaster back up. So <laughs> we're going back loops. to Canada. Let's All go right. back to Canada. <laughs> well, so this is a story not just about one couple, but just many different people who are okay. finding ways to still be with loved ones during these crazy COVID times. Okay. I love it. Um, it's like, yeah, I love it. Multiple, like, more is better. Stop them. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this came mostly from a Washington Post article written by Sydney Page. Also information from the State Parks website. Okay. And then also information from CTV News, mainly one story by Alyssa Thibault. All right. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Strapped in. So. Ready um, to go. As most of you know, because of, we are in a pandemic. Did you know? <laughs> have you heard? Have you heard? Um, and you guys so, have that where you are? <laughs> because of that, the U.S.-Canada border has been closed mm-hmm. to non-essential travel, which started in mid-March because of the coronavirus. And yeah, so, and really um, fucked our plans to go to Montreal yeah, in June. Yeah, to be there, goddammit. <laughs> um, so um, cross-border couples have been blocked from seeing each other. Because oh, yeah. there actually are very, there's a lot of cross-border couples. Yeah, I imagine. Just like very close to each other, just across the border. Right. Smith, who is 27, is on the United States side. He lives in Washington State. And then Leah Bosella, who's 31, she is on the Canadian side. And so they weren't able to see each other. So they found a little place, which is like a, a tiny little ditch off of Zero Avenue, which is a heavily patrolled road in British Columbia that divides the two countries. Yeah. So basically the only way that they could see each other was to stand on either side of the border. So yeah. they couldn't touch each other, but they could see each other and they would yell across this border so border officers were there and they could hear like all of their conversations right and trucks were shooting by and so it was really hard for them to hear each other but that's the only way they could see each other yeah so then as word got out you know more and more couples and families started showing up to the zero avenue ditch also and for months frank he's just like not into us today Frank's not he's having like, our he shit. He just rolls his eyes and he's like, ugh. <laughs> so. Are you still talking? Maybe Frank's like a secret misogynist. He's like, women talking. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. For months, it was just this weird, as it says in the article, strange and dusty meetup where couples would go to see each other and they would see other couples doing the same thing. And Leah said meeting this way was painful, but it was still better than nothing. Yeah. As the weather got better and it got warmer outside and then a lot of the shutdowns lifted and things opened up a bit. They found a much better spot in mid-May when Peace Arch Park reopened. Okay. Do you know what Peace Arch Park is? I don't. Okay. This is a really unique park because it's two different parks, but in two different countries. Okay. And so the southern half of the park and the Peace Art Monument is owned by Washington State Parks. And then the northern half is owned by British Columbia Provincial Parks. This 67-foot concrete arch, which was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, 
was originally constructed to honor the centennial of the treaties resulting from the War of 1812. This is the history lesson. All right, I like it. I've Um, never heard of it. So these agreements between the U.S. and Britain established a peaceful, undefended border between the U.S. and Canada. So this one park is considered equal parts American and Canadian. So it's a shared territory for citizens of both countries to visit. Okay. When the park recently reopened, it's situated right between Blaine, Washington, and Surrey, British Columbia. When it opened, then Nick and Leah met there and were finally able to like hug each other again. Leah said, when I finally hugged him, it felt like the first time I ever did. The couple, they had been together for five years. They were so excited to finally be together again that on June 6th, they ended up gathering a small group of their family and friends to the park, and they ended up getting married. Oh. They said, being separated made us realize, well, Nick said, um, being separated made us realize what's truly important to us. The circumstances we found ourselves in really highly highlighted that we wanted to make it official. So they ordered silicone rings online, uh-huh. you know, those like rubber wedding bands. Oh, yeah. Uh, just to be temporary wedding bands. And Leah wore a navy dress that she had actually ordered to wear to a friend's wedding. Right. (laughs) And (laughs) got canceled. She just wore it with sneakers. She said it was very casual and improvised. But it was such a wonderful day and so nice to just turn off everything else going on in the world. And so the couple meet at the park daily to see each other. They're hoping that now that they're married, it'll speed up the process of Nick becoming a permanent Canadian resident because he submitted an application nearly two years ago and he's still not a resident. Yeah. The way that they met is he was originally from Beltsville, Maryland, and he was serving in the military in South Korea when he met Leah, who was working temporarily abroad as a teacher. They met at a bar in Seoul and they totally hit it off. And then from there, they were just in a long-distance relationship ever since. So she lived in Vancouver, and he moved to Seattle, and then he finally moved to Blaine, Washington. But they would see each other all the time. Even though they were long-distance, they were only 40 minutes away over the border. So it wasn't an issue. They said that for a long time, the distance was very manageable. But then when the pandemic hit, that's when things got difficult. So are the borders open there now or no? So they can just meet and see each other. So yeah, the park, as long as you are inside this one park, you can embrace and be together, but it's very heavily patrolled to where you cannot leave okay the, the side you're not supposed to leave on. yeah okay so they're not the only people that had the idea to tie the knot at the border before the park reopened there was another girl named liz peters who uh, whose parents lived in portland oregon and she lived in canada but she couldn't imagine not having her parents there when she got married yeah so her parents drove seven hours from Portland to this border and then they stood across the border while they got married right next to him because they wanted to have their parents there. Liz says she's 27 and lives in Abbotsford, British Columbia. She said, I'm very close with my parents and can never imagine them not being there on my wedding day. So luckily they got, there's a really cute picture I'll show you, but they, they got to be there when they got married. So even though people were getting married at the border, when word got out that this park had reopened, then all of a sudden lots of lovesick Americans and Canadians began showing up at the park so yeah. that they could be together. Actually, the day after Nick and Leah got married, a 26-year-old Ryan Hamilton and 25-year-old Savannah Coop also got married. She's Canadian and her her husband is American and they were meeting regularly along the Zero Avenue border before the park reopened. And she said um, that the park reopened, they decided to make their love official the only place where they could be together. And after their original wedding was canceled because of the pandemic, they said that the spontaneous ceremony was made even more special because they had spent so much time apart. Yeah. 
and there are entryways from both the American side and the Canadian side of the park, mm-hmm. and they're both heavily patrolled and surveilled so that no one exits on the wrong side. But as long as you're within the 42-acre area, which is big. Yeah, it's a pretty big um, park. They're permitted to roam freely throughout the grounds. And according to the park's website, it says that it's a space devoted to peace and serenity. So Chelsea Horner, who's um, 30, another woman who's, she's actually in the middle of trying to immigrate from Canada to America. Um, She took a ferry with her two kids from Canada to meet her husband, who is on Whibdee Island, Washington. She said, anything is worth it to be able to see the person you love and unite your family. And the couple who commute back and forth constantly to mm-hmm. see each other they have plans for meeting again father's day which has now passed but yeah not when the, not when this article was written <laughs> um but and it's not just for couples it's an important meeting spot for um, many loved ones like kylie Heltz, who's 34 who visits her parents at the park her parents live 10 minutes from the canadian border so she drives two hours from renton washington to see her parents yeah that's the only way that she could see them well, yeah, she, yeah she's the only child and she said this is a really important time mm-hmm. to see her parents during the pandemic for a lot of people they refer to peace arch park as the happiest place on earth um <laughs> there's a guy named eric booting who's 33 who says it's the disneyland of the pacific northwest he is actually from canada and he came, he goes to the park to see his American girlfriend who flew from Indiana to Seattle and then drove to the border just to see him for a few hours. Dang. Flying. I don't All know right. how safe that I know. Is. <laughs> I was going to say. Be careful, you guys. <laughs> He says that the park is filled with grandparents meeting their grandchildren for the first time, families reuniting after being divided by the border closure, and couples coming together and even old friends just meeting to catch up. He said that time apart from his long-distance love has taught him to appreciate the little things, and above all, this park shows that love knows no borders. Oh, that's a good one. But there's an update. Oh, okay. So due to overcrowding, <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds a little thing. So it's like a very nice story. A lot of people were able to get married. A lot of people did hug and embrace and get to spend quality time with each other. Uh-huh. But because there was so much love mm-hmm. and so much embracing due to overcrowding, they had to close the park on June 20th. Yeah. Um, and since then, since June 20th, the park has reopened on the American side because Americans don't give a fuck. <laughs> well, you're not going to squash our freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so you can still go in on the American side, but then you can't go past the Canadians cannot can't in, come in, um, cannot come in. And so then according to the Canadian police, if they see any Canadians on the American side or in the park, they can face fines and also a 14 day quarantine. Dang. So they got to stay on their side of the border right now. Yeah. Man, so that's rough. hopefully maybe things will lift back know. up, but who would have imagined we'd now, be here? Who would imagine we'd be here, Jen? Not I. (laughs) Not I either. Not I said me. (laughs) Not I. So it is a love story. Yeah. They could still see each other, but all of the weddings are just going to have to take a a place right now across the border. Yeah. For your own safety, people. (laughs) For your own safety. That's my love. Is that a love story? Yeah, it's a love oh, story. Okay. There's some love in there. And then also, you know, some real talk about quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Wear your goddamn face masks. Totally. Uh, all right. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So mine kind of goes with, it's just another complaining about pandemic canceling things but jen this was the week you and i were supposed to be in cincinnati i know we were going to be doing shows all week this week at go bananas which is one of my very favorite clubs in the country it's where i started stand up and i was really looking forward to it and then it's a club that hasn't reopened which i'm thankful for i'm grateful that they are not reopened but i also am just bummed just bummed again because it came up on my 
Yeah. Another, my calendar. Yeah. Another reason I really wanted to be in Cincinnati is because when I did that show for Taste Made, just a little plug. Uh, <laughs> I was on it for one fucking second. Jam was on TV. For one second. Jam was on anyway, TV. anyway, the show is about, it's called The Unadventures, and it's about people that have never left their state or traveled. Uh, it's hosted by... Um, Sal, actually, he's not going by Sal Masakela anymore. He's going by his oh. full name, Salema Masakela. Okay. So Salema Masakela, it's hosted by him, and he takes people and takes them across country to travel with them. Remember? <laughs> and then, um, and then he gets them to do something that they've never done before. And we actually filmed this episode, filmed, taped, <laughs> taped this episode the day before the quarantine happened. I remember I... leaving, and everybody's like, "Go get your groceries right now." Yeah. Yeah, I remember because we were like, I was like, this is so exciting. It's so exciting. And then like literally didn't talk about it again because that was the day that like schools closed. Yeah. And we were like, fuck, this is real. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But the guy who was on the episode that I was on, um, his name is Jay Smith and he had never left Ohio. Mm-hmm. He lives in Cincinnati they drove to Atlanta and he always wanted to do stand up and they did stand up comedy for the first time at the Laughing Skull Lounge. Yeah. And I hosted that show and, you know, talked to him and stuff like that. So after the show I was excited to talk to Jamie because he wanted to get into doing stand-up. And yeah. I was like, guess what? Like, I'm going to be there and I want to see you. You better come to the show and maybe we can, like, you know, get you a spot or I don't know, but yeah. something. But, um, but so I was excited to, like, go see him. Mm-hmm. And But now I hope he's doing stand-up <laughs> in his kitchen <laughs> for his wife and children. <laughs> Zooming. I just hijacked your something dumb. No, that's that's I I didn't have anything else, and I had forgotten that part of it. Yeah, dang it! So many things you were supposed to do. Dang it all around. uh, Oh my, something I love. Yeah. Oh well, I was gonna. We talked about at the top, but my something I love is that I had this wonderful trip by myself, and. The reason I took it was, you know, for my own sanity, but then also because I have been working on a memoir about my hike of the Appalachian Trail for 10 years, like literally just like a little bit at a time here and there. And then I put it down and get distracted by something else or life or whatever. Start a podcast. I start a podcast. I do stand up. I have a job. I have a child, you know, just whatever. But I just am like, I just need to finish it. I just want to finish it. Yeah. And I had made the goal of finishing it by April, but then the pandemic started and then I was just have been so crazy busy I haven't had a minute to myself so so Ben actually suggested like why don't why don't you go take a writing retreat go and I was like I like literally was like like he said it and I was like out the door like he was like oh thank you I don't so but yeah so I got so much done I am so close to finishing and I'm just really excited to be to have to finish a thing hell yeah I'm so proud of you that is thank you feet to write a book like that that's amazing I'm yeah I'm just it's been like in the back of my mind for forever Mm -hmm. that to now be so close to being done with I mean the first draft but like just to being have a full draft yeah feel it feels good and that was really it was great that's so awesome yeah so what about you um so for something dumb this morning I was walking my dog Frank down mm-hmm. Ponce. I don't know why I keep doing this because drama <laughs> always ensues. Did I you see more go for a more fucking goats? walk? I was I'm I'm cursing a lot on this episode. I um we were walking down the street and then and I was having a good time. Mm-hmm. You listen to a podcast that had a smile on my face uh-huh. and then all of a sudden a tree branch falls and my hand is like mid uh upswing. Yeah. Like, walking up loving <laughs> and then a fucking tree branch comes and falls on my hand so fucking hard <laughs> no. it was like mother nature smacking it like fuck you <laughs> you can't be enjoying that yourself stupid smile on your face <laughs> you fucking smiling about i'll kill you <laughs> don't you know there's a global pandemic <laughs> fucking idiot look it and hit your face and so, and it hurt so bad. It's bruised. It's bruised real bad. And it was just the most shocking, like, what the fuck? Like, I can't even just walk down the goddamn street. 
get assaulted by Mother Nature. I can't take it anymore, universe. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so that was annoying and it, it really hurt. <laughs> 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 but, um, something that was, I love is the po- new podcast I was listening to <laughs> when I was assaulted, um, was, it's called, um, Guru. No. It's on Wondry. Okay, it's so good. It's a podcast about... I don't know if it's... Because I've only listened to one and a half episodes before I was <laughs> put in my place. <laughs> um, but it was... It's. I think that it's just following the guru, um, James Arthur Ray, who um, he was the one that... He was in the movie The Secret and wrote a bunch of self-help books, like the science of success. Uh-huh. But it was all about like when, have you heard the story about like, I don't want to tell you what happens now. Oh, okay. Everybody follows him like a guru and then yeah. things get real fucked. And well, then right. Like you would usually. Die. <gasps> people die. The secret guy made people die? Yeah. Oh man, I got to listen to this. It's so yeah, it was really good so far what I had listened to. Like lots of shocking moments. Only and I'd only gotten one and some change in. Do you think that do you think that that is why when I try to secret things it doesn't work? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I gotta, I'm gonna have to find another method. It's like other every than trying. Time <laughs> I buy a lottery ticket, uh-huh. I never win. Yeah, I blame this it's guy. It's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I recommend. Uh, I'm gonna go back and listen to the rest of them, but I give it a shot. Oh, I yeah, that's like right so up far. my alley. Yeah. Have, have I told you about the thirty for thirty about the Bikram yoga? Oh, I love that episode. Yeah. Well, there's a whole podcast series. Oh, really? There's like it's like they did like five or six podcast episodes. Like it's a, a podcast series. Yes. <laughs> like one of their full seasons was just about the whole Ooh. Bikram thing. Oh, so my God. yeah. So definitely listen to that. I will. Even if you've seen the episode, I think it's like way more in depth and I and I did and... watch the Netflix documentary also about him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then you're probably filled in. But, but I, I always want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do what I tell you, Jen. No, I... No, it's okay. Knowledge it's okay. is power. And <laughs> the more I know about Bikram yoga, the better, the more, more I powerful can just do I a different kind of yoga <laughs> and not die. Um, oh, man. We did it. We did it. That's another episode. Wow. In the can. In the can. In the laptop. Uh, thank you guys for another great week. Please, if you have a, a little extra money to spend and you like listening to us, join us on Patreon. You can find us on Instagram at Dumb Love Podcast, the same on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can email us your love stories or just any general questions or thoughts you have. Yeah. Whatever. Talk to us. Talk to us. Talk to us. We, we need it at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Yeah. And get out there metaphorically, but stay inside physically. <laughs> and go do something dumb for love. Dumb, da-dum, dumb, 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 dum